go ahead and get out your Bibles as the offering plate continues to go by. This morning, we are going to be in the book of Colossians, which is in the New Testament, pretty far back towards the back of your Bible. Going to be in Colossians chapter 3. If you don't own a Bible or you forgot to bring yours this morning, there should be a white paperback Bible in the pew in front of you. Feel free to use that. Take that home. It's our gift to you. Colossians chapter 3. When you're there, say Colossians. All right. Sounds like we're all there. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming." And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, babe. That's my wife. Welcome to Westside. My name's Tyler. I'm the worship pastor here. Um, it's good to have you guys. Uh, since we are launching into, um, we're, we're launching into the Thanksgiving season, I wanted to take a moment here at the beginning um, just to talk a little bit about what I'm thankful for. Um, my wife and I have been here at Westside for about three years now, and um, we love this church, man. We love all the people and the friends and family that we've made. We love how God's word has changed us and the perspective of God's word at this church. And so we're thankful. We love you guys and we are thankful that we are here. Um, one thing that I wanted to point out, um, we have a lot of people who serve here at Westside. Um, and in the spirit of thankfulness, I just want to recognize those people. We have a worship team that practices throughout the week with their hearts and, and their minds leaning towards and leaning into the word of God. And that fuels their desire to lead us each week. So I'm thankful for that. We have people back there in nursery bouncing your babies, teaching them about Jesus, taking care of your kids, feeding them with snacks, and having them make little illustrations that you can hang on your fridge later, which is probably packed by now, your fridge, hopefully. Hopefully. 
But um, we've got people there. We've got security team. We've got a greeting team. We've got hospitality. We've got sound and lights upstairs. And so many other people that, that serve at this church that are not uh, serving on Sunday mornings. But like Westside Youth, they meet on Wednesday night. We have a, hospita- we have a, a mission team and outdoorsmen with a mission. And I'm sure there are ministries that I'm missing, but... But there are so many people who give their time, their talents, and treasures to help this thing work and move along. And so I just wanted to honor that. So if you have served in any capacity at Westside in this room, whether you're on rotation or you bounced a baby one time or whatever, can you stand to your feet so we can thank you? Yeah, there you go. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah, there's more of you. I knew it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Um, We're incredibly thankful, and what we're doing right now, um, we have just come out of our Sermon on the Mount series, Jesus Uncensored. We're not done with it yet. We are still going to be jumping back into that after our Advent series. How many of you, raise your hand if if your life has been directly impacted in some way by that sermon series, by going, yeah, look around. God's Word, some theologians call it the, the, uh, the greatest sermon ever preached, and rightly so, because it's a sermon preached from the mouth of God. Amen? We're thankful for that. We're thankful for that, and it's taught us a lot. It's changed us here at this church. What we're doing today is preaching a a little bit of a standalone sermon. We're going to talk about thankfulness. And then next week, I think we have a slide for it, we're going to be launching into Advent, our Advent series, which we are entitling Christmas Carols. Christmas Carols. We're going to be talking about the songs that are sung in Scripture uh, throughout the the account of Jesus' birth and the prophecy of his birth and everything. So please, it's going to be amazing. We're going to sing a ton of Christmas songs, and we love doing that here each year, and we want you guys to be here. So bring your friends bring your family, you are not going to want to miss it. And so, what we're talking about today is thankfulness. Um, And in the season of Thanksgiving, with it coming up, a lot of us are probably thinking about things that we're going to do. It's Thursday, right? It's this coming Thursday. A lot of us are thinking about what we're going to have to do to prepare, to get our houses ready. The house needs to be clean. The dog needs to be washed. My husband needs a haircut. Whatever. The recipe needs to be done. The foods need to be bought. All of those things. If if, uh, maybe some of you are leaving town to go and visit your family, can you raise your hand if you're leaving? in town? Awesome. Good to know. Good to know. And who's hosting? Who's hosting and having everyone come to your house? We'll pray for you. That's a task in and of itself. Um, With all of that coming up, we're thinking about all of these things and what it entails. But one thing we may not be thinking about is, is our burglaries and crime this time of year. Say, why are you going there? Because it plays into an illustration I'm using, and I want it to work out and flow flow smoothly, and just like that. Um, So essentially, we're not thinking about those kinds of things, right? But I did some research about this time of year. The Department of Justice actually records crime in the winter months actually dropping, which I'm not buying. I don't don't agree with. Like, there's less daylight, and those jokers can come around my house in their hoodies. And I've seen Home Alone. I know Marv and Harry, and they, they know my lights are on a timer, and then I'm about to go on vacation for a week with my family to the beach. They're going to come in there. I'm not buying it. The crime is down. Okay, but that reminds me of a story that I came across of in my research this week, a biblical commentator named Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry, uh, he was alive in the 15 and 1600s, and um, he traveled a lot, preached the word of God, wrote commentaries on it, very brilliant man. And uh, one time he got robbed, and I, I don't know if guns were around in the 15 or 1600s, so if it was musket point or knife point, I don't know. But they took his purse, which also was cool back then if you were a guy and you had a purse. Um, but they took his purse, and knowing that he was a Christian man, a lover of the Lord, and that he should live a life of thankfulness, he had written down some thoughts that he had about that encounter, and he recorded it in a journal. And it has been misquoted in the past, but I found the original quote, which was found and then, origi- and then later put in a biography of his life in the 1700s. And that quote reads like this. He says, What great reason have I to be thankful to God, that having traveled so much, yet I was never robbed before now? 
What abundance of evil this love of money is the root of, that four men should venture their lives and souls for about a half a crown apiece. See the power of Satan working in the children of disobedience, the vanity of worldly wealth, how soon we may be stripped of it and how loose we ought to sit in it. That's a fantastic perspective to have, um, to have just been robbed of a sum of money and then look at that situation of, I am thankful. I am thankful. And then as he goes on, he addresses some things of maybe why those gentlemen were not so thankful, of, of putting themselves uh, out of place in, in an area of sin, and in an area of, of maliciousness to, to gain something that they feel like they deserved or they needed or they wanted. I think that's an interesting perspective that we can have. I know the holiday is right around the corner, that we have Thanksgiving, and we sit down at the dinner table, and maybe we all go around the table and talk about what we're thankful for. And your 16-year-old daughter that you just bought a car says, I'm thankful for my boyfriend, and you roll your eyes. But we, we all gather around the table, and we talk about the things that we're thankful for, and it's, it's rooted in, in genuine uh, things that we're, that we're thankful for that, that we have gratitude towards. But then the very next day comes on the calendar, Black Friday. A consumer holiday where we, have people, where we have people lined up outside of Walmarts and Targets and Best Buys and literally trampling people to death to be the first one to get that 65-inch flat-screen 4K Samsung LHDTV.com slash awesome. Or for iPhones or for, for Nintendo Switches or iPads or Apple Watches or whatever it is. Are we thankful? People are literally dying every year at Black Friday because on Black Friday because of people's desire to, to long and yearn for things, whether it be for someone else on their Christmas list or for themselves, the day after Thanksgiving Day. Are we thankful? And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going, to, we're going to unpack what it is to live a life of thankfulness. I've entitled my sermon this morning, Living Thanks. We've heard about giving thanks, right? Teach your kids to say please and thank you. That's important. We're going to teach Jesse that. If you catch me not teaching her that, pop me on the hand or something and let me know. Teach your kids please and thank you. But the big idea that we're working, on, working with this morning is that to live a life of thankfulness, we have to understand this. We have to understand that thankfulness is not just delivered from our lips, but it is displayed in our lives. Thankfulness is not just delivered from our lips. It's more than just thankful. I'm grateful for X, Y, Z. I'm, I'm grateful for this or that. I'm thankful. But it is displayed in our lives. So we're going to walk through Colossians chapter 3 and see what Paul very clearly lines out of what a life of thankfulness looks like. And then we're going to see what that means for us. And then we'll respond later with the table and singing and song together. So our first point, the thankfulness is not only delivered from our lips, but it's displayed in our lives. And the first thing that we have to do to understand that is that living a life of thankfulness departs from sin. That's your first blank. Departs from sin. I think it's your first blank. Living a life of thankfulness departs from sin. You got your Bible still? Open to Colossians 3. Put your head like this if you got it. Yeah? All right, look down at your Bible. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 5 through 7. Verses 5 through 7. A life of thankfulness departs from sin. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them. You say, holy cow, Tyler, you're going for the jugular this morning. Those are some pretty big, serious areas of my life that, that uh, maybe, maybe some people don't even know about. Or it's something that I've been trying to address and I just can't seem to jump that hurdle. Sinclair Ferguson, uh, he, he's, he's an idol of mine. I say an idol. Wow, the pastor said idol this morning. Sinclair Ferguson is a hero of mine. He's someone I look up to, and uh, he often says that when we're addressing things that are difficult about ourselves in the Bible, that we ask the Lord in the Scriptures, Lord, show me myself and show me my Savior. 
right? So what we're doing this morning in, in departing from sin, understanding that a life of thankfulness does that, we have to first look at ourselves and see our need for a Savior. And so we have to understand the context to depart from sin and to address these things that are so weighty and so heavy in these two or three verses, five through seven. We have to understand who Paul is writing to, okay? We say often here that the Bible is not written to you. Shake your head like this if you get that. The Bible's not written to you, but the Bible is written for you. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae under the... Um, under the pretense of understanding that there, is, there are false teachers that are coming in and among, among the church and telling them these things. You can't do this on a certain day. You can't work on a certain day. You can't eat certain things. You can't say certain things. You have to pray this many times. All of that. And, he's saying, and, and those false teachers are saying, these are the things that make you a better Christian. These are the things that make you a better person and more righteous in the eyes of God. Please understand that when Paul is listing these things in verses 5 through 7, that is not what he's doing. He is not saying, here's a list of things that you've got to do because you've got to look good. You've got you to have your stuff together. You're a Christian now, and the more that you do these things and line your life up with these things, you're going to be a better Christian, and God will love you more. That is not what he is saying. What he is saying is that we, uh, we approach these things and we put these things away. We put these things away because we no longer behave that way, and we'll get to that here in a second. So how do we do that? How do we depart from sin? The first bullet point under that is that we have to do it God's way. We do it God's way. Um, This is a photo of my my grandfather. He is uh, in his mid-80s right now. I think that's a picture of him when he's um, late teens or early 20s, and he is stationed at Colorado Springs in the Air Force. I love that picture of him. Super cool. But um, anyways, my grandfather would come uh, along with the entire family to our Thanksgiving dinner every single year at my mother's house. And he would bring his, his dressing or his stuffing, whatever's what politically correct, stuffing, dressing. They're the same thing, right? Right? Yeah, basically. Okay. He calls it stuffing. I call it dressing. Other way around. He calls it dressing. I call it stuffing. Whatever you have. I will ask him each year, hey, Papa is what we call him. What's in your, what's in your stuffing? We would ask him this when we were growing up. And he would, he would proceed to say, it's got this amount of this, this amount of this, meticulously, the, the perfect amount of ingredients cooked in the same oven that he's had for 100 years, the same temperature, nothing changes. And if you try to replicate that and you do it wrong, it's not his way, and that's not correct, and you've made the dressing wrong or the stuffing wrong. How many of you have a recipe like that around the holidays? You've got something your family is known for. Slip up your hand. You've got like a, like a potato salad or a coleslaw. Those are not Thanksgiving dishes. You've got a dressing or a gravy or mashed potatoes or something. Yeah. That this is the way we've done it in my family. This is the way that it's made. And if you deviate from this recipe or any, any process throughout, you're doing it wrong. I wonder if sometimes we do that with, with departing from sin, with how Paul tells us in Colossians and God's word tells us that we need to depart from these things. I would say, look, man, I know I used to struggle with this stuff and God's delivered me from it, but you know, I want to go hang out with my friends tonight and they're going to be around all that. I think it's okay if, I, you know, if I'm around it. I think I'm strong enough. I can handle that. Paul is saying we need, to, we need to cut those things off. We need to put those things away. That yes, I used to struggle with thoughts of infidelity against my wife. I used to struggle, we used to struggle with sexual immorality and looking at things late at night on the computer, but nobody's home and I'm tired and that computer screen's calling my name. Maybe just five minutes. Paul is saying we put these things away. We take these things off for a specific reason. 
We have to look at verses 7 through 8 to understand this. Verse 7 through 8, this leads us to our next point. In these two you once walked when you were living in them. And this is the application. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. Paul is saying, look, these false teachers are coming in and saying you have to do X, Y, and Z. And you have to do these things to be made righteous and to be made holy in the sight of God and to be a better Christian. But that's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying, you do these things because you're no longer that way. Does that make sense? That you no longer behave that way because you're putting off the old self. And so that leads us into into our next point. We see that we have to depart from sin and we have to do it God's way. But why? Why are we able to do that? We're able to do it because we are no longer dead. Amen? It's a great spot for an amen if you're a believer. We are no longer dead. Amen. Amen. Um, For those of you who have heard me preach a couple times, uh, I use a lot of science fiction illustrations and books and movies and stuff. This will probably be the only time in a thousand years you hear me reference football. Um, So hopefully if you're into football, I'll gain your attention for 30 seconds. But I'm going to talk about Jim Marshall. Some of you may know where I'm going with this. Uh, Jim Marshall was a lineman, spent a lot of time of his career with the Minnesota Vikings. And he had recovered 28 fumbles um, in the course of his 20-year history of being a lineman. And Uh, One day, on October 25th, 1964, Jim Marshall recovered a fumble and ran it all the way to the end zone. The bad news is that it was the wrong end zone. He ran it to the opposing team's end zone. And it's so hilarious. To this day, he has been dubbed as Wrong Way Marshall which is a horrible nickname to have in the NFL. Um, And I think the NFL actually rated as one of the top 10 worst plays of all time, which is hilarious. But anyways, the the point is this. He, He was running in the wrong direction. He was running in the wrong way. And I want to read what the announcer has heard saying at the game over the intercom um, at the field. This is what the announcer has heard saying. You can look it up on YouTube. It's hilarious. Loses the football and is picked up by Jim Marshall, who's running the wrong way. Marshall is running the wrong way. And he's running into the end zone the wrong way, thinking he scored a touchdown and he scored a safety for the 49ers. At the very end of that moment, there's a player from the 49ers that comes over and pats Jim Marshall and says, Thanks, Jim. And Jim looks around and realizes what he's done, and he just shakes his head. Can you imagine the crowd? Can you imagine loving the Minnesota Vikings, first of all? And can you imagine being at that game and saying, Jim, no! Turn around, man. You're going the wrong way. You're not on that team. I think that's what we see Paul saying here a little bit to the Colossians. In Colossae, he's saying, turn around. You do not behave like that anymore. You are no longer dead. You have been raised with Christ. You are no longer behaving like that person. So put off the things that that are listed here, the anger, the malice, the deceit, the covetousness, which is idolatry. Take those things off because you are no longer that person. Not engaging in those things does not make you righteous. It's just a reflection of who you are. It's a reflection of who you are now to not engage in the old dead Tyler and what he used to look like. Does that make sense? Awesome. So why are we made a lot? Why are we made new? Why are we no longer dead? How are we on this new team? 
Let's look at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 3. We've got to jump back up. This is just before Paul is getting into all of the things that we have to take off and that we have to put to death with the old self. He opens with this in the first four verses of chapter 3 as to why. As to why. Verse 1 of chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's good news this morning. That's good news that we are no longer dead, but we are now alive, alive, and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. That is the motivation and what allows us to be able to live that life of putting those things off. To dying to the old self, as Paul says. And then later on, as we'll get get into, putting on the new self. Putting on the new self. Um, There's no cryptic or, or hidden message in what Paul is saying in terms of what we need to run from, though. We've already seen some very clear, laid out verbs and adjectives of of what he's addressing and saying that you no longer do. Look with me in verses 7 through 8 again. Verse 7 through 8, he says, In these two you once walked, but you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. These are the things that we put away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. What does that mean for me? If I understand that I am no longer dead and I am supposed to depart from sin as a response of being thankful, if thankfulness is not just delivered from my lips, but is supposed to be displayed in my life, I depart from sin, I do it God's way, and I do it because I am no longer dead. So now when I have the conversations with with some, when that person walks in the room that I have nothing good to say about, and all I have in my heart for that person is bitterness because of what they did to me or what they said to me or how they made me look, I gotta, I gotta put anger over here. I gotta take off anger and put to death malice. Maybe I see my neighbor and he's got that shiny new boat and he wants to take it out this weekend and invites me and I begrudgingly say no because I secretly want that thing. Also, take us out on your boats. Your pastors like boat rides. If I'm jealous of that, maybe I need to take and put off covetousness. I need to set that thing down because that's not me anymore. I'm not on that team. Amen? Amen. That leads us into our, our application for this, is that, that we have to understand that we, that, we, uh, that we depart from sin. We do it God's way, and we do it because we are no longer dead. And when we understand those things, we can truly see that a thankful life is a changed life. A thankful life is a changed life. That I can actually live as a believer by the grace and ability of God through the power of the Holy Spirit and live a changed life. That I'm not bound by my anger anymore. That I'm not bound by my frustration and my greed and my malice and obscene talk when I gather around the water cooler at the lunch break with the guys. That's not me anymore. A thankful life is a changed life. And so how are we changed? Where do we go from here? How can we know that now we are changed, we know what to put off, But what do we put on? What do we dress ourselves with now? we got to do a little work to get there, but that brings us to our second point, is a life of thankfulness delights in righteousness. A life of thankfulness delights in righteousness. My Uncle John, um, he was my my stepfather's brother. Um, We lost him a couple years ago, Uncle John. And uh, 
Every Christmas, this is a hilarious memory, and if you knew John, it was super funny, but um, John was the, the, the greatest gift giver ever at giving bad gifts. So, uh, did, you know that person that they, they think their gift is funny, and you're just like, man, this is a bag of melted ice with tea, and they thought it was iced tea and really funny. That's not like, that, that's exactly what John would do, and it's not funny. It's just really, really ridiculous. And so every year, John would go into the grocery stores, and Uncle John would go to the four-foot section on the end of all the aisles where they keep all the junk that nobody wants, and he would just load all those puppies into his cart, put them in little brown bags, and hand them out to everybody for Christmas. He would give them to us as kids, and I say kids, we were like 17, 18 year olds, 18 years old old and and all of his brothers and sisters so my parents and and their brothers and sisters and and they were getting my my mom was getting things like like depends diapers and coloring books and 17 year olds were getting things like teething rings and cans of evaporated milk just ridiculous stuff gifts you can't use and my sister Erin one year uh, I think she was like eight or nine years old Uncle John got her a toilet seat a toilet seat and that became the rhythm for Aaron. Everybody else got Uncle John's bag of junk, as it was affectionately called. But Aaron each year started to get toilet seats. I think she has like 10 or, 10 or 12 toilet seats that she's had collected over the years from Uncle John. One year she got a glow-in-the-dark toilet seat, which I think is up there. Yeah, glow-in-the-dark. Who needs that? Uh, Lisa Frank toilet seat, Hello Kitty, glitter, and, and just stuff on a toilet seat you'd never want. And too many toilet seats to use that she would not even have enough bathrooms for. By the way, if you have 12... If you have need for 12 toilet seats, then you have 12 bathrooms, and you need to invite me over to your house, we're going to party afterwards, because you got a massive house. So, but what's the point of all this? What's the point of the glow-in-the-dark toilet seat on the screen in Westside? All those gifts were given by Uncle John, and they're gifts that are ridiculous and gifts that you can't use. We are given a gift by God through Christ on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit that is righteousness. We are given the gift of righteousness. You say, how do you know that righteousness, that that being justified and being made right with God is a gift? We've got this verse on the screen for you. Look look with me in Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through 24. It'll be on the screen. It says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, there's our righteousness, by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What a gift, man. What a gift that we are justified, that we are made righteous. You say, what does that mean? And I'm going to refer to a, defer to a website that I use all the time that makes me feel really smart and sound really smart, blueletterbible.com. You can do it too. It defines righteousness as the doctrine concerning the way in which man may attain a state of approval by God. A doctrine by which a man may, may attain a state of approval by God. That's a wonderful gift, a beautiful gift that that Christ on the cross, that we were all sinners and had fallen short of God's glory, but are justified by his grace as a gift, that we are made righteous now by, by a gift that is given to us by God's grace. Are we thankful for that gift? Do we live like we are thankful for that gift? Have you ever known somebody who's gotten a gift and showed no thanks at all? Maybe you saw someone who was needy and, and they got, you know, a $100 gift card to Kroger or something like that. And it was with intention that they would buy groceries and they were frustrated they didn't get those fresh pair of Jordans they wanted that year. I wonder if we're that way with understanding what Christ has done for us. Of understanding what Christ did on the cross for me by grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy... 
because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. Does anybody know the next line? By what you have been saved. Say it out loud. By grace you have been saved through faith. That this gift that we get from God of of, of now standing before a, a loving and a holy and a living God who cannot dwell near sin and has to stand apart from it because he is so set apart. That we are now made holy and righteous as the son, as sons and daughters of God that we stand before him and he sees Jesus. Do we live like we're thankful for that? Do we live lives that are reflecting a heart of thankfulness every day that we wake up believers? John Piper once said, did you wake up, did you make yourself wake up a Christian today? He said, I didn't. God did that. That we are still believers to this day and we need to live thankful lives reflecting the thankfulness of what he has done for us. We need to understand this. That yes, righteousness is just some, righteousness, righteousness is something that we are made. We are made righteous by the cross, but it's also a gift that we can use. It's a gift that we can use unlike a glow-in-the-dark toilet seat. And so I want you to remember this. Righteousness is received as a gift by grace. Let me say that again. Righteousness is received, not obtained, received as a gift by grace, and we thank God for that gift by using the gift. Does that make sense? Righteousness is a gift received by grace, and we thank God for the gift by using the gift. You say, how do we use that gift? I'm glad you asked. It's right here in the text. Look at verses 12 through 14 of Colossians chapter 3. 12 through 14. Put on, then, as God's chosen chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, meekness, humility, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. It's very clear what Paul is saying here. Paul addressed earlier in earlier verses that we are to put off the old self because we are dead. And we are no longer living like that. We are no longer dead in our trespasses, but now we are alive. And since we are alive, we need some new clothes. And he's telling us these are the clothes that we need to put on. Kindness, humility, meekness, gentleness. If someone hurts your feelings, you forgive them and you bear one another's burdens. These are the ways and the clothes and the tools that we are now given because we are made righteous to continue in our righteousness. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus Christ sustains our righteousness, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? He he sustains us and keeps us that way. But we have a drive and a motivation to live that way because of what he's done for us. It's characteristics of who we are now that we clothe ourselves in these kinds of righteousness. Art Azurdia is a pastor who speaks, uh, he's got a YouTube channel, and that guy is the most Italian speaker I've ever seen. His hands are, he's got nine arms, it seems like, he's moving them so much. I would encourage you to watch a YouTube video in your house, but he might land a plane in your living room, so be careful. Um, But he has this to say in terms of what it is to display that thankfulness in our lives. Do we display it? Do we understand and know what Christ has done for us? And do we live putting on these new things that Paul is, is telling us to put on, And do we do that 
in a response to thankfulness do we display that? This is what Art Azurdia has to say. He con- he's talking about Christ. He condescends to us, lives among us, suffers like us, and dies for us. Do you understand this? Have you experienced this? How then is it possible to experience it and not display it? It isn't possible. You haven't experienced it if you don't display it. Those are some heavy words, man. Have we experienced the love of God? Have we experienced the gift of being made justified and being made righteous by His grace and mercy with Christ on the cross? And do we live like that? Do we display it? That when I'm in the midst of, of, of coming home from a long day of work and I'm cranky and stressed out and whatever and I'm spewing venom at my wife, I need to remember that I need to put off those things and maybe I need to put on kindness. Maybe I need to put on meekness. Maybe you've been working at a job for a very long time, a lot longer than that guy, but he got that promotion before you did. Maybe you need to put on patience and humility. Maybe those are things that we need to dress ourselves in to display the thankfulness that we have for what Christ has done for us, that we display it. So what's our motivation? What's our motivation to live like that? Yes, we understand that Jesus Christ has died for us, that we are no longer dead, but we are alive in Christ. Amen? Being thankful for that is our motivation. And that leads us to our application that thankfulness is my drive for holiness. Thankfulness is my drive for holiness. That I understand what Jesus Christ has done for me. That I understand the price that he paid on the cross. And my desire now is to not just say thank you, but to live a life of thanks. Putting things on like kindness, humility, meekness, just as my Lord and Savior did when he hung on that cross. That that is my motivation. That thankfulness is my motivation. So we've seen that a life of thankfulness is not just delivered from our lips, but it's displayed in our lives. And it's displayed in our lives by departing from sin. We've got to do it God's way, not our own way. And we've got to do it because, and we do it because we are no longer dead. And secondly, we've seen that, we, uh, that a thankful life delights in righteousness. And we know that, that we have to put these new things on. And that leads us to our last point, which is this. A life of thankfulness is displayed in community. A life of thankfulness is displayed in community. Get your eyes down on your Bibles on verse 15 of chapter 3. It's right here. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. And be, say this aloud, thankful. And be thankful. We have to understand again the the context that Paul is writing in. You guys are sensible people. You you could figure this out on your own, but I'm going to say it anyways. Paul is addressing this issue of false teachers in the church of Colossae. But what he's also doing is he's writing to a church, a group of people. He's not just writing to one person, right? He's writing to the collected group of people there. And if you've been through our connection class, you you hear uh, Parker sometimes talk about the the y'alls in Scripture. And these are one of the, we say y'all down here, I guess, apparently. Uh, These are the plural yours and yous that we we use and we see here in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in y'all's hearts and all of your hearts, to which indeed you all were called into one body and be thankful. Community language. Language that harps on understanding that we are designed and created for community. 
That when we gather together here on a Sunday morning or when we gather around a meal with our friends and our families, that is the environment in which our Christian life and thankfulness is to be lived out. Not alone, sitting at home on your couch, eating ho-hos, watching, eating, is that ho-hos? That's like, yeah, that's a food. Sitting on your couch, eating ho-hos, watching a, watching a televangelist, and that's, that's fine, you can, you can be thankful for that. But living a life of thankfulness is displayed in community. That we come and we gather and we hear the word of the Lord together and we give glory to his name. It reminds me of a friend I had growing up. Um, I asked him when I was 15 or 16, hey man, why don't you come to church? And he quoted Fight Club. I'll keep it clean for you guys. But he essentially said, man, taping feathers to your butt doesn't make you a chicken and any more than going to church makes you a Christian. I don't need to go to church. And thinking on that this week, I was thinking back to, to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, where, where God says, let us make man in our own image. We believe in the hypostatic union here. It's a big word for, for, a, for a simple thing. It's, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, one God. That God is a communal God, and we are made in His image and likeness. Understanding that, we have to know now that we are designed and created for community. We are designed and created for for community. I just had a conversation with a gentleman who came in last week. Um, I don't remember his name, and I don't know his name. If I knew it, I probably wouldn't say it out of kindness to him. But he came up to me, and we got to talking, and he said, Son, you have the gift of being planted, and I have the gift of evangelism. I don't need to go to a church. We are designed and created for community in the image and likeness of God. So how do we live that out? How do we display that in community? Thankfulness is displayed in community. How do we do it? Firstly, it's by the Word of God. By the Word of God. Look at verse 16. He says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. One of the things that my wife and I hold very dear to our hearts about this church is the love for God's Word. We love God's word here at this church, guys. We, we hold God's word as the authority above our heads. We don't determine what it tells us. We are obedient to what it commands. We look at God's word and we love it and we adore it. And that's one of the things that, I, that, I, that I'm so thankful for about this church is that, that when you come in on a Sunday morning, the week beforehand, has the, the, the scriptures for the text and, and the message have been prepared for that week. That there's a call to worship that we read aloud each morning, each Sunday morning when we gather. That we lift our voices with the word of God. That we sing the songs that we sing and at the bottom of the screen are scriptures that, that have inspired or are directly linked to the content of the songs. If you haven't experienced that or read through those, I would encourage you to. It guides us with what we're singing. And then we have a scripture on the screen for offering that directs and guides our hearts and to understand why we need to be thankful and to give in a response to what was given for us. And then we hear, we, we are taught and admonished, as the word says in verse 16, that we are admonished for 40 minutes from, from the word and the teaching of God. And then we respond in song, and we respond with communion. And my hope is that throughout the week, that, that when we gather with our community groups and with our families and with our friends, that we do it around the word of God. Because when we are around the word of God, we can display our thankfulness in community by the word of God. So we do it by the word of God. And secondly, we do it to the glory of God. We do it to the glory of God. Thankfulness is displayed in community by the word of God and to the glory of God. Look what he says here 
in, in the rest of verse 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That, that when God is given glory in Scripture, it, it does not seem to be apart from thankfulness. That when we behold Him, there's this sense of, of that we understand and know what He's done for us. And when we approach Him, it's always with a heart of thankfulness. And it's always around a community. And it's always with His Word. That we desire to, to long after the things of God with, with hearts that, that are tuned in to thankfulness for what He's done to us. And done for us. So we're thankful for that. And our application for that is this. That when we understand that, that, that thankfulness is displayed in community and that it's done by the word of God and to the glory of God. And yes, we've seen that you can, you can be thankful and have a heart of thankfulness and say thank you on your own. But the application is this. Thankfulness can be, can be given by one, but it must be shared by all. Thankfulness can be given by one, but it must be shared by by all, and let the peace of Christ rule in all of your hearts, to which indeed you all were called into one body. The word of Christ dwell in you all richly, and, and admonishing one another, thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do as a community, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus with thankfulness. The band's going to come up and lead us in a time of response this morning, and I wanted to close with this. Um, we see here in verse 15. In verse 15, Paul says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Be thankful. And we see this word, this exact word, in, in, in the Greek, elsewhere in Scripture. We, we see it in Luke chapter 22, verse 19. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. It'll be on the screen, but it says this. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks... That same word again. He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That word, give thanks, giving thanks, looks like this in the Greek. It's pronounced eucharisteo. And essentially what that means, and, and the word that we get from that is the Eucharist. Eucharist. Eucharisteo. It means the table. It means the, the very reason and the symbol of what we are thankful for. Be thankful. Can we stand to our feet this morning before we respond? Um, as we approach the table this morning, I want to encourage you guys to tune your hearts into what it is to live a life of thanks. I want to challenge you. Go home. Read through the book of Colossians. It's four chapters long. It'll take you 15 minutes. See what Paul talks about as he goes through the four chapters and, and talking about uh, what Christ has done for us, how we are made new and alive, what we are to put to death and what we are to put on, how we're to, to, to treat our spouses, how we are to behave in the workplace, how we are to evangelize and engage with non-believers. And all while you read through that, do it with a spirit of thankfulness. And as we come this morning remembering that that same word that Paul uses here is the same word Jesus uses at the Last Supper, to be thankful, he given thanks. 
pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, as we approach your table in response, we look at the body and the blood of Jesus and what he's done for us. We see the price that was paid on the cross and we see the word of God fulfilled in the work of Christ. Remind us and bring to our memories this morning what was done to him, that the wrath of God was satisfied on the Son, and that now we are no longer dead, that we're not on that team, but we're made alive. Holy Spirit, teach us and give us the grace to put on these new things and to live and say thank you for the gift of righteousness by using the gift and remind us to do it in community. Remind us as we come to this table this morning in community that we are giving glory to God. May we never forget. Remind us that thankfulness is not just delivered from our lips, but it's displayed in our lives. Holy Spirit, help us as we go to live a life of thankfulness. Tune our hearts to what it is to be thankful as we come to the table and sing and respond. In Christ's name, amen. You may come forward to the table as you feel.